Father, thank you for Trevor once again coming and sharing with us and um, just um, the willingness that he has and the time that he gives to us and pray for your word now that it will be um, challenging to us and that we will respond to it. Amen. Thank you. Alison mentioned about Rob Parsons and uh, Rob Parsons I find is a very funny speaker. Um, I went to a conference that he held in Coventry when I was the pastor there and I can remember him saying I hate to get to a meeting early especially when I've got to speak so he said I went to speak at this meeting in Cardiff in South Wales and I thought people will be bothering me when I need to concentrate on what I'm going to say where can I escape to and then he had what he thought was a brilliant idea He said, I'll go in the gents and I'll go in one of the cubicles and I'll get my notes out and I'll not be disturbed. Well, a young man, quite a keen young man, came in the gents and he could see there was someone in the cubicle and they'd been in there for an awful long time. So in the end he says, are you right, mate? And... Rob Parsons says, I'm just having a little time with the Lord. To which the Welshman said, Oh, I wish you'd told me I would have come and joined you. <laughs> well, that's nothing to do with what I'm going to preach on tonight. <laughs> but I just, when Alison told me she'd been to a Rob Parsons conference, I thought, I'm going to have to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. I can do the Welsh accent, but that's about all. Um, yeah, that's the base. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we're in this series of this letter to the Philippians. And uh, you've had the passage that I've been asked to speak on tonight. Over the years, um, I have had a number of letters which I have treasured and I still have with them, me today. Um, in the days before emails and mobile phones and all the rest of it, I, wait for it, I have every single letter that my wife wrote to me when we were going out with one another. Every, you got mine, I hope. Good. <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, I've had letters of encouragement from people. My wife had one the other day from our church in Ashbourne. But I've also had letters uh, in which people were expressing their anger. Sometimes their anger at me. And those letters, I can assure you, I've not kept. But tonight we're looking at a letter that can be a blessing to all of us. It doesn't matter how many times we read this letter. And in this particular passage, some of the principles that Paul states are very helpful to all of us in living our Christian life. Now, when I was a young pastor, I was given the impression by some people, sometimes by fellow leaders that balance was wrong and I should go out on the limb in my expression of worship and my daily living as a Christian. Be radical, they said. Well, while there may be a measure of truth in that, 
it also has its dangers. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I want to be enthusiastic in my worship, not dull. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to be wacky in my worship. Balance is needed. Let me give you another example. Um, In my witness, I want to express my Christian faith in terms that people will understand. So I mustn't use what we sometimes call the language of Zion, that certainly non-Christians won't understand and sometimes Christians don't understand because their knowledge of the Bible is not what it was. So balance is needed. Let me give you a third example. Um, I want to be balanced in accepting the fact that in what I'm going to call secondary issues of faith, what is right and what is wrong, uh, Christians in different countries and sometimes in different parts of the UK will hold different views to me. People can argue, depending on their denomination or their upbringing or their culture, that things are scriptural, but they're not scriptural at all. They're actually cultural. So you need to be balanced. I need to be balanced in how I express my views on certain things. And in the passage that we're looking at to now, this question of balance, I think, is something that for me stands out. Let me explain what I mean by that. Paul is telling us here in this passage that in the salvation we have, certain principles must be understood if our Christian life is to be what God intended it to be. Um, There's got to be a balance between purpose and power. There's got to be a balance between attitude and action. And there's got to be a balance between being serious on the one hand and being joyful on the other. Let let me talk about these three things to you now. Um, This thing's not working. Can you click it, please? Oh, hang on. I don't think I've put it on. No, it's still not working. So if if you could just put it on. Thanks. There's got to be a balance between purpose and power. In verse 13, which I've just highlighted here, if you just put the next verse on, please. I'm sorry about this. God works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There are two things there. First of all, God working in us is the power. And the power in every one of us, if we're Christians, and we all are Christians, is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible to live the Christian life in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. That's God's power. Well, the purpose of all this is to change our lives, to make us different. But though God is at working us, saving us, and transforming us, 
that doesn't mean it's a passive thing on our part. It doesn't mean we, we kind of sit down and say, well, God's at work in me. doesn't matter what I do. No. We have our part to fulfil. It is something active on our part. And that's why verse 12 says, we have got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, That, of course, is a verse that can be very easily misunderstood. And to understand what Paul is saying here, we first need to understand what he's not saying. He's not saying for one moment that we can work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in the sense that we can earn our salvation. Because that would be a total contradiction of everything else he taught in the New Testament, especially that well-known verse, Ephesians 2.8, where he says, Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So none of us can be saved by our works only by what Jesus did for us on the cross. But in writing to believers who already knew that salvation, Paul is saying, you've got to work it out. You have your part in this. God's power is in you, but you've got to work it out. And in actual fact, the Greek New Testament there, for that phrase that we have translated in English, work out, It actually means to work to full completion. It refers to um, working on a mine or working in a field where you're constantly digging and you're constantly cultivating until that mine or that field produces its full potential. So here is a question we must stop and ask ourselves. I've received God's power to live the Christian life. I have the Holy Spirit. But am I reaching my full potential or just settling to be average or second best? What is the level? It all comes down to this. What is the level of my obedience to Jesus? And our purpose should be to obey Him. Let me, let, let me try and make that simple for us to understand. Think of it this way. Um, when we get sick, we go to the doctor. He diagnoses, hopefully, our condition. He tells us what we need to do. Uh, he hands us a small slip of paper, which we call a prescription. And uh, you are very clever if you can read a doctor's handwriting. Uh, but you take it to the pharmacist, you take it to the chemist. So, There are three elements there. Um, A diagnosis, a prescription, and then the chemist hands you the medication. But then it's our responsibility to take the tablets and follow the doctor's orders. We must work out the process, and if we do so, then hopefully we will get well. Now, that's also true on a spiritual level. This must be our goal. Whether we realise it or not, God wants the best for us. Notice in that verse he says, it is according to his, in actual fact, the, the, the King James Version there says, his good purpose. God wants what's best for us. Um, when we get to heaven, 
Malcolm. I don't want to knock you off as I did in my last sermon here. But when we get to heaven, there'll be nothing as such to work out. It will all be done. But while, while we're down here, there is a lot for us to work out. We must discover what his will and purpose is for our life. Now, I don't want to tread on any spiritual toes tonight, but I personally do not hold and never have held a tramline view of God's will for our life. I happen to believe that God's will for us might include a score of possible choices. But what must be central in our decision making is that we seek to put God first and glorify him in the way we live. A balance between what God does, his power, and a balance between what we must do, his purpose for our lives. Incidentally, uh, when Paul speaks about working in you in in that 13th verse, um, in the English, the word there is energising. Uh, you know these um, Duracell batteries? You know those adverts where they show you toy soldiers and the ones that have got the Duracell batteries in go on, are supposed to go on much longer than the others. Uh, but of course for any battery to work there's a negative and positive. They have to be connected unless it won't work. Similarly, all around this room, presumably, there are 13-amp plugs. They've all got power in them, but they don't work until you plug something into them. So as Christians, we've got to plug ourselves into God's power. We've got to allow him to use us. But unlike a battery, the power, thank God, will never run out. Too often, we choose not to use God. God's power, too often we become complacent in the way we live our Christian life. So I think that the the balance Paul is appealing for here is a balance between purpose, doing what God wants us to do, and a recognition at the end of the day that we all need God's power. For as Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So that's the first thing I see in this letter. A balance between his purpose and his power. And then there's the, the second thing I see, um, and I, I think in today's age this is very important, a balance between attitude and action. In verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining, complaining and arguing. That's what our attitude should be. But then, in verse 15 and 16, he talks about action. He said, you are to shine like stars, holding out the word of life. And I think, um, and it speaks to me very much this, one of the best ways to explain the difference between attitude and action is what we read about Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Do you remember that story? They lived in a place called Bethany, a little village just over the Mount of Olives that it's a bit difficult to go to now because of the Arab uprising. And this is where Mary lived with her sister Martha 
and their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And when Jesus was down south, he would often use their home as a bed and breakfast place. And he went one day, and Luke tells us in chapter 10, that Martha got all agitated, preparing the meal for Jesus. Whereas her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. Now, I personally believe we make a mistake when we suggest we shouldn't be a worker like Martha, but a worshipper like Mary. I think in doing so, we actually miss the point of the story. The Lord wants us each to imitate Mary in our worship, but Martha in our work, achieving a balance between those two things. Martha was obviously a great hostess. I mean, she thought, what a privilege to serve the Lord and his disciples. So, the moment he came in the house, she went in the kitchen and started preparing the tuna or whatever sandwiches. She thought it was great. But Mary, on the other hand, oh, well, I'll sit back and listen to Jesus. And that's exactly what she did. Now, is one thing right and the other thing wrong? I don't think so. I think both duty and devotion are necessary, but we keep coming back to it, there has to be a balance between the two. A right time for doing one thing and a right time for doing the other. Um, Notice in verse 14, back to the key passage, Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Now, there was lots of complaining and there was lots of arguing with Martha. Why is my sister not helping me? Um, One verse says she was distracted by all the preparations. And the word distracted there actually means to be pulled or dragged away. She got in a fluster. The implication is Martha wanted to hear the Lord herself. She wanted to be seated at his feet, but she was pulled away by her sense of duty. Fretting about the meal robbed her of the joy of listening to the Lord. Now, of course, all of us should take our responsibilities seriously, but not to the point of overestimating their importance and becoming anxious. The problem actually didn't lie with the work that Martha was doing. It was her attitude that was the problem. Uh, You know, the, the balance between going and doing and the balance between sitting and listening. The difference between Mary and Martha is not that one served and the other did not, but one served out of a sense of duty, the other out of a sense of devotion. And in our... I want to bring this right up to date. In our daily lives, we can be so busy, even in retired people, so busy doing this thing, doing that thing, that sometimes, let's be honest, we neglect what is the most important thing. Um, It would seem to me that being busy today is almost a status symbol. If you're busy, you're important. If you're not busy, you're afraid to admit it. 
Busyness is where, you know, we find our security. It's validating. It's popular. It's pleasing. But it can actually be a good excuse for not dealing with things in our life that really matter. So, because she'd got things out of sync, Martha's attitude was all wrong and she got very angry. First of all, she got angry with her sister. Why isn't she helping me? And then, worse still, she got angry with the Lord. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her, tell her to help me. Now, perhaps some of us can identify with Martha. Perhaps you can. Let me be very open here. Perhaps you've begun the task of doing something in this church, but as time passes, you've lost your enthusiasm. Maybe you see yourself running out of energy or running out of the focus to see the thing through. And when that happens, you can get angry. You can get angry inside, angry that you allowed yourself to get into this situation and you should have said no. Or angry that other people in the church aren't helping you with the task. One song puts it very ironically. It says this of Martha, she was working like the devil, serving the Lord. Working like the devil, serving the Lord. It's bad enough to have everything to do in the church. It's even worse when you think someone you should be helping you isn't pulling their weight. And that's what I see in Martha. And the balance between attitude and action is what Paul is touching on in this letter. On the one hand, do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't be like Martha. But on the other hand, shine like stars holding out the word of life. I'm told that there are no small stars the smallest star actually in our universe, and you can sometimes see it on a dark night, is Saturn. But Saturn is 95 times the size of the sun. That's 95 times the size of the earth, rather. In comparison, all of us are very small stars, aren't we? We might think we've nothing to contribute. Nothing at all. Very small stars. But Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. No, no, no reason to shout. No reason to scream. No reason for a drama. Jesus is saying, just shine. That's all you've got to do. Just shine. The negative Paul gives is to grumble. The positive is to shine. Get your attitude and your action in balance. And then the third thing, a balance between purpose and power, a balance between attitude and action, and um, the third thing is this, a balance between being serious on the one hand and being joyful on the other. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. And prisons 
were not what they are today. He was also in prison when he wrote Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon. We call them the prison epistles. What a disaster, we might think. A man like Paul, stuck in prison, rotting in prison, being beaten, heating hardly anything, when he could be out there preaching the gospel. But it was there, in prison, that Paul wrote words that have inspired Christians throughout generations. Twelve or thirteen of the 27 New Testament books were written by Paul. On the one hand, a disaster, but at the same time, God was still at work. And I want us to see those two things in our world today. When I hear about and see disasters on the television screen, especially when children are involved, children starving, children badly injured, poor people exploited, sex exploitation and ethnic cleansing, um, I get compassionate. It makes me feel very, very sad, as I'm sure it does you. But at the same time, despite the troubles we see in the world, we need to retain our joy in the Lord. It wasn't good that Paul was poured out like a drink offering. Any more than it's good for us to see people suffering. But the serious state of our world should not eat into our joy of being children of God. We should still have joy in spite of the serious concerns in the world. No matter what's in the news, every day, is it not true we can find something to be joyful about? And this in a way relates to Mary and Martha again. Sometimes we work but other times I think we need to take a break. When I was in full-time ministry, Chris and I would take a day out a week, and creatures of habit that we are, we still do it. Every Friday is a special day for us. And this week it was Thursday, because we looked at the weather forecast. And you know, some of you live incredibly busy lives. But let me tell you, it's good sometimes to take time out. Go on a walk. And if you're very brave men, as I did on Thursday, go shopping with your wife. You're looking miserable now. No. And if you're into sport, as, as Anne is and her daughter, do that. You know, do something that will just take you out of yourself. And get away from your endless problems and church politics. God bless them. Let's give our permission, permission to do that. Let's get the balance right between being serious, yes, but also joyful. Chris and I sometimes go to that wildlife park at um, Wolseley Bridge and there's that poem there. Um, what is this life? If care, we have no time to stand and stare. You know the rest of it. Now, look at what Paul, Paul was joyful about. In the last part of that 
passage, he says, I'm thankful for two people. First of all, I am thankful for Timothy. He says, I have no one like him because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And then he says, I, I, I'm, I'm ever so thankful for this man Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has been sick. In fact, he said, he's almost died. But listen, he, he's my brother, my brother and my fellow worker. So, thanking God for our fellow Christians, those who share ministry with us, those in our church who we think should be helping us but don't always help us, being thankful for them. Say, I'm glad I'm part of this community called Church Lane. I, I'm glad I'm part of Love Stafford. Despite all the problems in the world, we'll redress the balance between being serious on the one hand and joyful on the other. So that's how I see this section of Paul's letter to the Philippians. My prayer is that all of us in that sense will work out our salvation as we should. A right balance between purpose and power, a right balance between attitude and action, and a right balance between being serious on the one hand and joyful on the other. May God bless his word to all our hearts. Amen. Well, thank you, Alison. Where are you? Thank you. And we're very thankful, are we not, for musicians? Um, well, no, seriously. Um, I wish I'd learnt to play the jolly piano. Well, I did try when the kids were learning. But it's harder as you get older. So, we, we should be thankful for musicians, should we not? And the, and the PA boys at the back. Yeah, we sorted it tonight. God bless you all.